Good evening to you. Is that a little loud? Or am I just loud? <laughs> they used to have those horn things that people stuck in their ear, and I don't know, I don't know if those things still exist or not. But y'all break one of them out. I don't know. It's we'll probably just go ahead and cancel for the night if I see the the horn turned out right there. <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> Maybe a megaphone. Pat, we, you could hold a big megaphone and talk into your ear. Like, I don't know about how that would work or not. Glad to see all of you this evening. Uh, happy to be with you. Uh, on the way over, I told Mary and Will I haven't been to Stanford in 10 days. <laughs> I usually feel like I go, don't go 10 minutes without driving. Probably should just live here, but... Uh, it feels like we find our way over a lot, but had not been able to be here, of course, because we'd been sick, but happy indeed uh, to be able to be here now. Glad to see Connie and Tony back with us. Uh, the only two people I've ever known to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, so uh, may st- they may stay on that list. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know where it is next year. Will, where's the Super Bowl next year? Do you know? In Phoenix, all right. So, yeah, so uh, we'll just mark you down. I assume y'all just go to Phoenix, you know, next year. I'm hoping, I'm hoping one of these days they'll play it at Garrett County High School. That way I can just walk across the road and watch it. I don't know, I don't know when that'll happen, but it'll, uh, our 2,000 seats might not cut it for the Super Bowl. But tonight we are in the book of 1 Corinthians. It was the intention to be there last week. Um, but of course, weren't able to do it. Uh, we have been through a series of New Testament studies, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. The last uh, two of them were Acts and Romans. We talked about becoming a Christian in the book of Acts. And then we talk about, in the book of Romans, uh, maintaining, as it were, sort of Christianity. And uh, the, we talked a little bit about that as well. Uh, tonight in First Corinthians, we're going to be talking about um, the Lord's Supper. And uh, so if you're in First Corinthians chapter 11, that's where uh, our focus is going to be. There are other places where this is mentioned, but trying to stick with our uh, sort of book by book theme, uh, we're going to talk about it out of the book of First Corinthians. And our goal tonight uh, is to talk about um, conduct at the, at the Lord's table uh, and also look at what some of the complaints were about the people in Corinth and how they were uh, in many ways misusing uh, their time together uh, around the table. First Corinthians is the seventh book of the New Testament, as you can see there, written by Paul. Uh, it's called First Corinthians and then Second Corinthians because they were two separate letters Quite different from the Old Testament. We talked about it. the Old Testament first and seconds were just the splitting of books to make them more manageable inside of scrolls and that kind of stuff. But these are legitimately different letters that address different issues. Uh, these are two out of 21, I believe, uh, epistles that were written uh, to various churches and people during the New Testament, most written by Paul, uh, and this is one of them. So tonight we're going to talk about the uh, book of 1 Corinthians 
and the Lord's Supper. And you know, the picture there is uh, kind of worked because I thought it looked a whole lot like uh, what we used. Uh, I feel like it's been a long time since we used something different than that. Um, but I also remember the first time we used those little, um, the little pieces of the crackers there. And it just seemed so different because we're so used to breaking it uh, apart. I will apologize right off the bat because I want to tell a story real quick about the first time. I got two stories, actually. But the first time that I partook of the Lord's Supper. So I was a freshman in high school. And I just remember that passing by in front of me for 15 years before it did. Some of you may remember this or be familiar with this as well. And I just remember thinking, when you break apart that, how big should you break? It depends on who you sat by. Because some people broke, just, some people just barely got crumbs off of it. Some people look like they broke off, like he's cut out a piece of pizza off of us. It was so big, something there in the middle. And it all depended if they were elderly, maybe they couldn't break it as easy. And so some people would kind of struggle with it. You'd hear the rattle of that. Some people would break it when they had uh, bracelets and stuff. You'd hear that rattle on the metal. Y'all all know what I'm talking about. And I just remember being super nervous because I thought, what if I get too much? Or what if I get too little? I don't remember how much I got, but I just remember like getting whatever it was. I thought, well, that was pretty neat. You know, sometimes that first time is kind of Second story. John and I, Booth's son, we were responsible for putting away the communion stuff at the end of church on Sundays when we were young at Lancaster. And so you had the, the two things with the drinks in it. And John and I, and this is not right, but we're going to tell that John, he'll, he can relate to you. You can have... John and I would look around and we were like, wow, there's not that many people here. And so what we would do then is all the extra cups, John and I would drink them real fast in the back room. Because they told us, they said, keep like five or six, you know, for Sunday night. But if there was like 15 or 20, John and I would be in the back, we'd split them out. Like we'd take our drinks on them real quick. I don't know why we did that. It's the same grape juice we had in the refrigerator at home. But there's something about it in that little cup just made it different than what it was. And we go back there, and it's like, that's not, you're not taking communion. We set it aside. But we, we look around the corner, make sure nobody's coming. Every single Sunday. And, you know, sometimes I'd be, you know, sometimes at Lancaster, there'd be 90 people there. Like, oh, man, we're going to get one each. You know, you got to just make it, make it work. But John and I do that, and, and I can't hardly go a single Sunday morning without thinking about me and John. Well, my son John in the background, you know, in the back of the room, like throwing up some of those cups afterwards. And so I know, I know you didn't know that. So tonight we're going to talk about conduct at the Lord's Supper. And uh, just try to not think, you know, whatever John and I did, just don't maybe, don't maybe do that, okay? All right. So we've got a handful of things that we're going to read, like three different things. And then I've got a series of questions uh, that, we're going to, uh, that we're going to answer. And so what I want you to think about uh, as we read this is what are we reading? And then I want you to think about what's right and what's wrong. Okay? And don't necessarily think about like, this is not necessarily a... I don't know how to say that, but just think about that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem 
wrong, something like that. Okay, and as we think about that, that's kind of where how the questions might well guide us. We're going to start in First Corinthians chapter eleven, verses seventeen through twenty-two. Booty, care to read this one for us, please? All right, so we'll look back at these verses here uh, as we go, but a couple of questions uh, that are here. They're a little bit smaller because I tried to squeeze them all into one thing, and I apologize for that. But the first thing that Paul says there in verse 17, he says, Now as giving these instructions, I do not praise you. What does it mean to praise someone? Commend them. You did a good job. The opposite of that is condemn. condemn. All right? You didn't do a good job. Okay? Have you ever been expecting praise and got the opposite? Thought you'd done a good job. Turns out maybe you hadn't. Okay? I'd say there's been anybody who's had a job, you may have thought you did it right, you did it wrong. Tony, there's probably people that you met with over time that thought they just want to hear one thing, and unfortunately they had to hear another. Now, these people here are not being praised. All right? He says, I am not praising you. Verse 17 and verse 18, one of the reasons, the biggest problem that he had with them was there was what in the church court? Divisions. Now, this is not new to them. This is not, well, I've read 11 chapters and this is the first time I'm hearing about it. Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. So we're 10 verses into Paul's letter to the people at Corinth. He says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you. So Paul starts this out by saying, I am pleading with you that there be no what? Division. Why do you think Paul does not want there to be divisions in the church at Corinth? Or in the church anywhere, but Corinth right here. Well, we're called to be like Christ and God. There is no division between Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit. We're all on the same page, one mind, one spirit. And if you're not, you're not going to complete your mission. Right. If you got half your army over here and half your army over here doing two different things, it's going to be a complete mess. Absolutely. So Paul is saying at the beginning, I am pleading with you that there be no divisions. But it feels like he already knew that there was. Because when they come around here to verse 18, first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear there are a divisions, there are divisions among you. And then he says what? Do what? I partly believe. I'm hearing some things, and I'm kind of believing it. He, he, you know, the, the word has advanced, as it were. Okay. Now, how do divisions show themselves 
in the church. Don't necessarily worry about what we've just read here, but just in general, how might divisions in the church show themselves? You see them break off into groups. Okay. One group is always with that one certain group, and this group's always with this group. Uh-huh. Very seldom when you see them come together. Not a, not, not a lot of interaction between them. How else might a division? So if we're talking about like just fellowship, that's a, that's a form of division. How else might division arise within the church? Okay. People not agreeing with each other on matters. Now, I've asked this question before, but I'll throw it out there again. Do we have to agree on every topic biblically? No. We don't necessarily have to agree on everything. I have thoughts that may not jive with yours, and you probably have thoughts that may not jive with mine. I've been to 50 or 60, probably maybe more in that church services. And the army is sitting up there. I have never yet been to a church where I believe 100% the same thing that the preacher, the elders, or the congregation is. And that's fine. It is. It is. Now, there are some things that we probably do need to see eye to eye on, or otherwise, you're likely not going to attend a specific church. Okay? Because there are, Dad has said this before, but you can go down the street. And walk in any room, any church building on this street, and there's plenty of them, and you'll probably agree on a majority of the topics. But there's some other things that are division. There's some things in there that's like, I agree or I disagree on this or that. How else might division show itself within a church? We're talking about like uh, fellowship, we're talking about beliefs. How else might division show itself? Yep. The business aspect can be a dividing point for people in the church. When people disagree with how funding is done for how things are paid for. I don't think they need to, you know, do this work or do that work. They don't need to help this person or that person. What often happens though is these divisions begin to emerge before discussion is had about the actual topic. I'm going to fuss for three months about them not speaking to me before I go speak to them. Or I'm going to sit there and listen for seven months about a topic that I completely disagree with, but I'm not going to raise my hand and say, I'm not sure I agree with that. Or would you like to talk about that more afterwards? Those divisions, I'm going to look in that bulletin every month and see how that money is spent for 10 years, and then I'm going to say, well, you ain't spent a dime right for 10 years. You let those things fester, you let them build up, and then there is a massive problem within the, within the church. Okay? Those things have to be addressed right then. Paul is saying, I perceive that there are divisions among you. I believe it. And he's going to talk about one of the things right here. But he's already addressed it there at the beginning. Okay? Now, what do divisions accomplish? Okay, well, that would be true. I don't know if that's an accomplishment. <laughs> but, I, but I know what you're saying. I, yeah. It would be. It, it would be. That's fair. What else might uh, division accomplish? Okay. Anything else? The main thing they accomplish is that they 
Yeah. One thing, though, that I have, and I'm thinking about this in particular from verse 19. If you look at verse 19, for there must be factions among you, those that those who are approved may be recognized. Sometimes that division allows me to say, well, I'm right and you're wrong. Okay? This I'm right and you're wrong. We live in a world where I'm right and you're wrong seems to be the most important thing, right? It's not necessarily whatever the issue is. I was reading something today that said every single issue is binary anymore. Meaning it's a yes or no. Meaning I'm right and you're wrong. Well, that's fine if it's a math problem and it's two plus two, but there's a lot of issues that we face. There's some middle ground. There's a lot of issues in the church that fall in the middle ground. Ben said he's been to 50 or 60 different types of worship services, and he's not agreed necessarily with everything. Does that mean you just sold out and said, well, y'all are all stupid and crazy? That's the division. But there has to be something, instead of promoting one group, and you're, this, group, this, is our, this is our good group, you over here are a bad group, that's the division that we got. There needs to be some discussion about it. One of those issues is the issue of communion. What was the purpose of coming together? Let me rephrase. What should have been the purpose verse, before verse 20? What should have been their purpose for coming together on the first day of the week? To worship. And one of those acts of worship is what? Communion. The Lord's Supper. But in verse 20 it says, when you're coming together in one place, what's happening? Or maybe what's not happening? They were not coming together. They were coming together for other reasons. They were not doing necessarily what they should have been doing. They should have been coming together. We read in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, coming together to build each other up, right? To exhort one another, to build each other up. Instead, they're coming together to celebrate, look what I got. We're going to see that here in just a second. The food that they're eating. I'm going to eat this. You, no, you're, not, you're in that other group. You don't get that. Okay? That's not what church is. Should church be designed for two or three people to be promoted while everybody else just sits in the back and doesn't do anything? Are you going to have division in the organization if you do that? You absolutely are. But also, more than division, what is anybody going to gain if two or three people hog on of it? You can't gain anything from that, right? It's far better to say, I need you to do this. I would like you to do that. Would you be interested in kind of building that up? That eliminates those divisions. Sometimes people don't even know they're doing that. But that's what we'll see. Okay? Now, verse 21. What two misuses were the Corinthians making of the Lord's Supper? Misuses. What are they doing wrong in verse 21? They are. They're looking at it as a meal. It's, it's, it's time to eat. Now, I'm going to get mine, right? It's family reunion time. I've got to get in front of all these people so I can get mine. Because all the good chicken and all the good macaroni and all the good salads going to be gone, right? i got to get mine. Well, what's the problem with that line of thinking? Well, you're putting yourself ahead of the purpose. Okay. Putting yourself ahead of the purpose. Any other problems with that line of thinking? Kind of greedy. It is. It is kind of greedy. Some of these issues are a little hard for us to understand. 
Because every single one of you who has ever went to church on Sunday morning when there's communion, it has existed like this, right? There's been cups here. There's been bread that's been passed around. That's what the communion is like for all of us. You've all, that's what it's always been like. Now, it may look a little different, but have you ever been to communion and there's been other food up here? But we look at this building as a church building, right? This is where worship takes place, and this is where that is. What was the worship locations like for the people in the early church? Mostly in their houses. Mostly in their houses. And the table, table, table that we got right here, what would have been the table at Ben's house when we all came together to worship? Where they were they? And there would have likely been food. Right there. There would have been food that you and Melvina were going to be eating. Does that make sense? So we kind of have a hard time grasping that. But when they were coming together, they were just partaking of all of this. They were not focused solely on what are we supposed to take at the communion? Unleavened bread and what? And the wine, the cup. And so instead of doing that, what's the second verse? Our second part of verse 21 say, it said they take their own supper instead of others. One is what? One is what? One's hungry and one's drunk. So one person's just high off the hog. Everything's good. One person's over here hungry. Those divisions were deciding who was getting to eat first. Who was getting to be an active participant in this. Now, How would you describe, in verse 22, what was going on in their assemblies? You had cliques. You had one clique that was kind of the upper class. Mm-hmm. They were themselves. They were having the best of everything and getting full. Then you had the poor ones, the ones that were in the rougher shape, and they were being completely left out. Jesus said that the poor would always be with People's lives exist in a world of wealthy and poor and somewhere on the continuum in between. But church was not supposed to be that way. Church should be a time when they all came together. Rich or poor, tall, short, black, white, skinny, fat, whatever term you want to use. And they would gather around a common table for a common meal to partake of this bread and this fruit of the vine as a way to remember what? Christ's death. It should not be about getting full. It should not be about fulfilling. Man, I'm thirsty. They give me you know, two or three more. Again, don't think about what John and I did when they were after church. Right? But it should not have been about that, right? But that's, they were misusing this. Paul says in verse 22, he said, what, where should they be eating and drinking? Their home. Okay? They should be eating and drinking in their home. How many of you Time for the lost. How many of you have ever had your stomach growl in church? We all have, right? We everyone have. It's a time of day where we're kind of starting to get hungry, right? If we've been an active participant in worship, we've probably spent at least an hour, maybe, singing. You know, some of us have gotten up, moved around, we talked, we've been active. 
And when you're active, you're burning. I can't tell you how many calories you're burning while you're sitting. Some of these songs require a lot more than others. You know, right? But if we are active, you start to get a little hungry. That's fine. But our focus has to be on what when we're in worship? God. Because if we're not careful, it's like, and then it's like, hey, sounds good. <laughs> We've all done it, right? It's not for honesty. Most of us have probably already made those plans before church started, right? Now, you know, he's going, when he gets done, we're going to hustle on out. We can get to Wendy's by 11.45. Nobody's there, right? We've all made those plans before. I, I'm just as guilty as you are, right? We all have. But we kind of get focused on those other things. But we wouldn't dare bring, you know, the McDonald's sack and stack it up here in the front with everything else. But what we saw here were people that were making this meal into something. They were taking it. Like Ben said, with their clicks, I've got, I've got all this. We're going to sit over here and eat this. They were losing focus, losing sight of what they were supposed to be doing. Okay? How should our behavior be? Behavior might not be the right word, but how should our behavior be when we're partaking of communion? Reverend. Should it be a gorging opportunity? I told you that story at the beginning because I didn't know how much you're supposed to take. But if the communion's passed, and I'm, man, I'm pretty hungry. I'm going to tear off a big part of it so I can eat more. Do I have the wrong attitude here? I do. It shouldn't be about, man, I got to just get it. I got to just gorge on this. But rather, when we're taking of that bread, what are we thinking about? Jesus' body being broken. It should not be a, this is fulfilling. When we take of that drink, that cup, what, are we, what should we be thinking about? Christ shed blood. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but do we always think about that? I've been guilty of mind wandering at times, and I'm sure everybody else has as well. That's one of the things here Paul is sort of stressing. You need to be focused on it. Because I can almost guarantee you, if there was a bag of McDonald's or Wendy's or Arby's sitting up here, we'd all be thinking about that during the communion, wouldn't we? Smell those French fries. Those kinds of distractions that we'd be, uh, that, that, that we would see. All right, questions, comments more than that about what we've seen. He said, I don't praise you for this at the end of verse 22. He said, this is the opposite of you doing good. If you're not doing good, you're doing what? Bad. You're not, not real happy with this. Now, here's where... Paul's teaching is going to be beneficial. First of all, he's going to let Jesus talk just a little bit in this next set of verses. But he's also going to explain to them not just how you're doing it wrong, but what's the next thing? What should be the next thing? If I explain to you how you've done it wrong, what's the next task? How to do it right. Because sometimes people need to know that. And sometimes people need to be refreshed on that. There are some things in my classroom I feel like I ask the same question like three times a week. Sometimes the kids look at me and you'll ask them a question like, I know the answer is dropping. But I feel like that's good because they have been taught that. But sometimes you need a little refresher course because I may not ask them again for a month and then I ask them and they're like, oh, 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 oh. I think about it a little bit. We're the same. Are we the same way with religious matters? Should we be? I think so. Let's go on to the next one. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 
This is 23 through 26. In my Bible, this is entitled Institution of the Lord's Supper. Annette, do you care to read this one for us, please, dear? There are some things in the scripture that I can read and I can hear you read, but I can only hear certain people reading it. These verses, I can only hear J.K. Simpson reading this. Does that Lancaster, whenever he would speak, he would mention this a lot. And I know Annette's voice was who was talking, but that sounded like J.K. Simpson's voice right there to me and how he would say this. But when we look at this right here, what's the reason? I already asked this, but now we see it right here. What's the reason for partaking of the Lord's Supper. Remembrance. And remembrance until what? Or for what? Maybe that's what I say. For what Jesus did for us. Yes. And you're doing what in front of the whole crowd? Proclaiming our belief that we believe. You're proclaiming your belief in Him. So this is a statement, in a sense, of what you're doing. You're saying, I am partaking this, remembering the sacrifice, remembering what Jesus did, but also celebrating, in a sense, proclaiming that, because I'm saying he was willing to do that for me. And if you see me do that, that is totally fine, because that's what I want to be. I am saying thank you to Jesus by this celebration, by what they were doing. It's a proclamation of Christ's death. Okay? Now, I'm having a hard time finding my question here. So if they're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes by taking the Lord's Supper, then what are you doing to him if you partake of it in an unworthy manner? Shame and mockery. Shame, mock. What else? It is. You're in a sense sort of crucifying Christ all over again, right? So what is the wrong way of partaking of the communion for us today? Assuming then that we're not going to gather around a big table with piles of other foods there. What's the wrong way for us to partake? Not being focused. Not being focused. Improper attitude instead of one of gratitude and shame at what I've done and examining myself how can I do better. And I'm just taking it just like it's just like it's grape juice and bread. Yep. Other thoughts. We talk quite a bit about how in many ways the old law unfortunately became something of a checklist for people. I have to do this and I have to do that and I have to do that. Can communion become that? For us. Of course. It can. I'm actually really glad that in the last few weeks, uh, the elders have chosen to switch the time of communion 
and um, a, a reading and prayer. There's no scriptural requirement. We've talked about it. We can come back together at 10 o'clock on Sunday night and do the communion if we want to. There's nothing wrong with that. But if we're not careful, we fall into these ruts, right? These patterns. Song time. Happy song time. Sad song time. Prayer. Communion song. Communion. Happy song. That's all time for the sermon. Time for the sermon. Invitation song. All right? One verse only for the closing. We fall into those ruts, right? And all of a sudden we're sitting there saying, done that, done that, four more things, a little bit late today, all right? We fall into that, right, if we're not careful. And so what is our thought process if we're just checking off boxes when it's time for communion? Huh? It is. It, it belittles that importance. It's like, well, this is just something else we've got to do. When I, when I have a checklist of things I want to do, my goal is to get them done as fast as possible. Can church become like that as well? And, yes. and it starts way before church. Sure, yeah. You only going to get out of church what you put in. You do absolutely nothing for the whole rest of the week to show up at, at 9.30 on Sunday. You're not going to get much out of church because you have to put in There you go. There you go. Other thoughts? I've jumped ahead just a little bit into the next set of verses. But Jesus, the, the, the words here, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then this cup is the new covenant of my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Every table that I've ever seen has this written on it. This do in remembrance of me. Do in remembrance of something like that. I think the point is, is while we're sitting there, we're staring straight ahead. We're looking at that table. It's almost like it's a reminder. You know, whenever our kids take tests, do the testing at the end of the year, you got to take all the signs out because they don't want kids looking around like, oh, there's the answer to that problem. Well, at church, that's, that's what this should be, right? This is that like, Jocelyn, you know, oh, oh yeah, I need to be doing this in remembrance of what Christ did. Other thoughts before we go to the last one. Let's finish up here with 27 through 34. And my Bible and your Bible may say the same thing, but it says to examine yourself. I, we've talked about this before, um, but the notion of examining 
yourself in this. Uh, Connie, do you care to read verses 27 through 34, ma'am? So a couple of questions to sort of going uh, to, to go home. Uh, this, we've already talked about a couple of those, so I want you to look at question number three right there. Um, in correcting the problems with the Lord's Supper, does Paul urge changes in the action or in the heart of participants? Heart? Both of them. Heart and action, right? All right. What was the action change that had to be done? Don't eat of other food at the table. Your focus is on this bread and this cup. What's the heart change? The focus that needs to be on. I like there those last couple of verses that Connie read there in verse uh, 33 and 30, 34. 33, therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, do what? Wait for one another. When we partake communion, we need to all be here, right? Now, could we partake of communion at 10.30 on Sunday morning? What might a potential problem of communion at 10.30 on Sunday morning be? What if you're late? If you're late, you just kind of miss it, right? Now, you could say, well, you need to be here on time. I mean, that's, we can fuss about that. I don't mean that. But there's, you know, what if there's a wreck? What if there's a wreck on you know, the road and you're not trying to get there, but can't get there? So, so when you come to, you need to be together. We need to all be together. What is all? What might be 17? Might be 9. Could be anything, but we need to come together. And then in verse 34, he says, But if you're hungry, do what? Eat at home. Eat at home. That, that's, we take care of that hunger stuff. Eat breakfast. Eat a big old breakfast before you come to church. Or make plans to go to somewhere and eat afterwards. You know, that's all well. There's nothing wrong with that. But split it apart. Your, our focus should be solely on what we've come uh, together for right there. So what's the proper way to eat Lord's Supper? I have three things. A worthy manner. All right, that's fine. In remembrance. Very good. Focus. Focus. Oh, good. I said, in sincerity, and not for nourishment, but for remembrance. You all, all hit on those same kind of answers there as well. Hey, well, I've heard in some churches that this, it says, 
Uh -huh. They wait till they everybody's got bread. Yes. They all eat, they, have any of you ever done that? Yeah. Where you where you in a sense sort of held your peace until uh, and now go kind of thing. There's nothing wrong with that. There'd be nothing wrong with that. And that is something that if you've ever been to like a big church, it's something that was noticeable. When we went to Richmond, that was very Richmond. We're gonna fifty people that went there. If you sat in the front where they passed it first, you've already done before some of the people had ever even got them. So there's nothing wrong with that. But one of the things that would sometimes happen is you're eating and you're hearing the rattling around in behind you. Like, oh, somebody dropped something. Like, you know, you kind of, there would be nothing wrong with everybody holding and kind of waiting. I do think this sort of allows for that. There's no, you know, there's no plate that's snaking all the way through, but rather I've got my piece right here and we could all, we, you could do that. Uh, if you, there'd be nothing wrong with that. Any other questions? Any other thoughts? Now, there are entirely different Lord's Supper lessons that can be taught about why people don't partake every week. That was not the purpose of what we were doing. That, that's, a, that's another lesson, and we may get to that uh, in, at some other time. But our focus today was simply to think about when we partake of communion, why our focus needs to be on specifically that. Anybody have questions?